my first thought was, well, I'm a Jedi. You want some sexy? You want to laugh? Licensed to talk. אתם בקשר עם הפודקאסט Lessons to Talk. תודה רבה. This podcast is brought to you by First in Buffalo, 391 Abbott Road. Firemen owned and operated. Custom apparel, custom hats, custom embroidery. First in Buffalo, get your custom gear. Bob's Barbershop, 2098 Seneca Street. $14 haircuts, $18 with a beard. Owner Dan Callahan, Bob's Barbershop. Personal trainer Ryan Corton, a bachelor's in exercise science, ACSM certified. His mantra, Marky, is get a grip. We all have the resources and the opportunity, so get a grip and get down to business with King Carlito Fit on Instagram. Check him out. Bottle Rocket Beer Reserve. Check out The Rocket for great local and award-winning brews. Get to The Rocket for gift certificates and winter beers, and get a seat for the High Holy Days and St. Patrick's Day. Final Vibes Buffalo. For decals, stickers, for any occasion, wrestling stickers I see now and of course license to talk stickers vinyl vibes Buffalo dog ears bookstore and cafe stop into the cafe and bookstore to enjoy a welcoming hometown atmosphere all while supporting their programs that spread creativity and literacy throughout South Buffalo and beyond and with a any purchase now at dog ears you get a free license to talk sticker so check them out there and don't forget about their gala in April and We'll be promoting it. Dog Ears does a good job. Don't go to Timmy to get your coffee. Stop in and get it from Tommy. The High Holy Days are coming up. St. Patrick's Day. And check out our new sponsor, Roe & Co. Whiskey. Roe & Co. is a luxurious smooth blend with a perfect harmony between the intense fruitness of the malt and the mellow creaminess of the grain whiskeys. Made from the finest and hand-selected stocks of Irish malt and grain whiskeys. and aged in bourbon casts. Roe & Co. is non-chill filter and bottled at a higher than usual ABV of 45%. This is a whiskey for bartenders, Marky. Made by bartenders for bartenders. And such, bartenders will always be key partners in telling the Roe & Co. story. Roe & Co. blended Irish whiskey adds a unique blend to a growing craft category that was chosen by bartenders. We'd like to thank those guys over at Roe & Co. Whiskey And you can check them out over at the Blackthorn, Potter's Field, O'Daniels, Doc Sullivan's, Coles, Brick Bar, and of course, down on the water over there at Hoax. Yeah, we're also going to have Alan Mahilville uh, on the program uh, coming up in March uh, for the High Holy Days. And he's going he's gonna to tell us why we're drinking Roe & Co. And we're not drinking the other 30 now uh, Irish whiskeys that are out of uh, Ireland. There used to be four. And in, since 2017, there's 30 now. And uh, I tried the whiskey, and I thought it was a lot like uh, Bushmills, and it uh, was really great in a cocktail, so I'm excited to talk to him. All right, that's going to be great. Just when I think I'm not going to have an Irish whiskey episode, you got me, Marky. So check out Rowan Co. Whiskey. Speaking of drinking, Mark, check out Charlie's Boatyard. Coming back at you after the weather breaks, right around April, they are going to be accepting applications. So go on their Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check them out. Our good friends. at Charlie's Boatyard. All right, Marky, we're here at Charlie's Boatyard with our next guest, episode 42, a citizen of the world, Zamir Gada. Welcome to the program, Zamir. 
I'm honored to be episode 42, guys, on your very creative and, from what I heard, and uh, challenging project in a way that, you know, people tend to think that they know everything, right, about life, about, you know, culture. But once, in my own experience, when you start looking into that in more explorative way, not like just reading the books and, you know, watching the, I would say, Google search, once you feel, okay, I don't really know much about... Uh, let's say, buffalo art scene or buffalo food scene, right? It's not just only about the chicken wings, which I like, honestly. And, uh, you know, like beef on whack, another example. It's more about much more deeper content, which you find meeting people face to face. So anyway, thank you for inviting me. I thought I haven't uh, exhausted my Buffalonian friends with the information I already <laughs> seeded as planted, you know, kind of seeds. Oh, yeah. Inspire. Inspire. Well, Zamir was born in Moscow in 1956. He grew up in Mother Russia, the Soviet Union. Can you believe that? And now you're I here can't. in Buffalo. I, lo I love it, Zamir. Empire of evil. Are you scared? Are you afraid of me, gentlemen? No. 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 Thank you. <laughs> some people are by thinking, okay, that's another hood from Putin's uh, you know, world. He probably rigged the Chiefs uh, winning over the San Francisco <laughs> team uh, Super Final or yesterday three Korean, uh, you know, Oscar awards. It must be a Russian hand, the hand of Putin. That was a beautiful movie. I, it should have won. You see? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, born in uh, the communist world in the time of stagnation, when I had no way even to dream of going beyond the borders of iron feast of communists ruling that, you know, huge country, one-sixth of the territory of the world. But people have dreams. I was a dreamer, still am, and... Uh, when Gorbachev came into the picture and helped the Berlin Wall fall down, you were probably going into the kindergarten at that time. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, 1989, <laughs> I believe. My whole life changed overnight. Really? There was a chance to travel. There was a chance to do something you want. Until that time, I was uh, at school teaching English because that's my, my, my real diploma, like major English and German languages teacher. So I worked at school, you know, see that the planted the seeds of uh, enlightenment as much as I could. And uh, all of a sudden, I was given a chance to do something different. And I always wanted to be in the film business and filmmaking. Because my cousin, uh, Akhror, he's about 70 these days, at that time when I was just growing up, was a student in Moscow Film Academy. And would bring me to the set, would give me some minor roles in his diploma movies. That's what I started, you know, being more and more drawn into the big Moscow Hollywood productions of Moss Film at that time. Oh, a lot of film done in Moscow, huh? A lot, yeah. It's not as big as Hollywood. Probably ranked like number four, number three in the world on the mountain film these days. So that's how I kind of switched gear from just passive enlightener of uh, uh, cross-cultural themes for the kids at school based on the English language, right? That's when I would bring Beatles songs or Jesus Christ Superstar in the years which were kind of banned from mass consumption of the Soviet uh, pop culture, right? They were kind of uh, taboos. You wouldn't be allowed to talk about Beatles as much because everything coming from the West at that time, luckily you didn't live under that time, was considered as Western propaganda about their own, um, I would say, freedoms, which were kind of presented as obscene ones. Just to give you an idea, in the Soviet Union, we were kind of used to use the word uh, to make love in the West. 
to have sex, right? So basically, the Soviet propaganda would say, well, everything is on sale. Love, prostitutes, drugs, unemployment, all devices were coming from the West, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of was selling well at a certain period of time, but not for too long. When people started to realize that, why we have nothing in the stores, no food, no clothes, nothing. And I was lucky man, actually, when I was only 22, still as a student of Teachers Training College, I was sent to, for internship in Iraq, developing country. 1979, we just started that process when I was still a student. Uh, and then I came up to Iraq in 1980 and realized that in the middle of nowhere, in the Kurdish village, high in the mountains, where the Soviet Union and Yugoslav constructors the, build the power station, I, I was meant to be an interpreter for uh, Russian personnel, in, in, engineers and local, and um, uh, hired uh, engineers from all over the world, everything was available. That's where I bought my you know, first leather coat, my first Walkman, and started thinking, wow, it seems like communism ideas now, how say, getting ground anymore. They would say that, you know, everyone lives like this, basically. That's what the idea of Iron Curtain. You wouldn't see what's available in other countries. Like everyone are poor equally, but at least we, the Soviet Union, could prevent war. So that's what was selling well. Mm -hmm. That explains why my parents gave me the name of Yazimir, its full name, which means I am for peace. So the mm -hmm. peacemaking, and, uh, you know, that was part of my pedigree. So when I started traveling, I realized that the world is totally different from what the Soviet propaganda told us, especially in Iraq and then, you know, U.S., Singapore, other countries. So they realized that something was, was not cooking right with what I was given as a young man uh, about the world structure, right? So it's all about people, how they could make their life different. You don't need to be like a cattle with a shepherd. That's what the communist system wanted people to be like, navigated into different locations. Like no one is responsible. Everyone as a work collective is responsible. But as you know, all people are different. Some people want to drink and shirk the duties. Some people work hard, but at the end of the day, they're getting the equal pay. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's what my, my first doubt started to come up back in Iraq, back uh, after 1991 when I started traveling. So the world changed. That's where I took up this filmmaking, like independent film producer kind of thing. Because I could do that. No one would say, no, Zemir, you could only do teaching or only do like bullshit propaganda stuff as some folks of my college took up working for the state. So in other words, freelancing became possible. Until that time, it was a crime. You couldn't do the freelancing. The state wanted to have a radar screen and that you could be looked at through the magnifying glass. Where you wow. follow? I mean, you always hear the KGB looking over your shoulder. Where, where the, they At were really time, on top 100%. of you. Oh, yeah. No matter where you traveled, you always knew that there were informers, even in our hydropower station community. There were not too many people left by the time I landed, but we all were aware that you need to censor your own things. Even when you are toasting with friends, if you do a bad joke on communism, you don't know when you come, go back home. <laughs> the next plane, yeah. So subconsciously, you always had to filter your bullshit. So even <laughs> kind of jokes, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Even today, do you catch yourself doing that? Or <clears throat> less and less. Less and less. Yeah. Yeah. Less and less. Now, when the curtain came down, we always heard in America that you guys were starting to get stuff that we had 15 years prior. How how were how was that when you kind of got out of there? You won't believe it. Uh, the first McDonald's restaurant was opened in Moscow probably in 1989 before the wall came down. I think some Canadian entrepreneurs brought it 
with the help of some uh, more liberal Gorby style you know, party <laughs> members. And the line to get a MACD treat was probably five miles long. <laughs> I wasn't on the line because, you know, MACD never appealed to me from the point of view of a sexy food or something. But <laughs> it was just the idea for most Russians who never traveled by that time to fill out that capitalistic, you know, like something is hidden from you. You always want, you strive to get it, right? It's like, I would say hidden fruit or whatever the forbidden you know, fruit. Forbidden yeah. fruit. Thank you. And that was what was happening. Consumerism started to come over. I'm not sure it's a very bad thing. It motivates people to learn something different anyway. Even if it's McDonald's, it's a type of mindset. Why Americans like it? Because it's easy and, and quick and reasonable, right, to have it done. And it's food. When you're hungry and you don't have too many restaurants in Moscow, but you want to have a drive-through, that was the phenomenal experience. Oh, yeah. Russians couldn't believe it. I laughed when they came out as a child, the Gorbachev mcdonald's commercial do you remember that i remember that yeah that was a shock <laughs> yeah for someone like garby or a pizza commercial whatever he was else. in a pizza he one too many things yeah to kind of promote the western values kind of thing everything was considered as propaganda at that time oh americans show only the success stories like you can be a star in film business no matter where you come could be a muse musician a rock star but at the end of the day soviet propaganda would always say yeah but they exploit people they would always show the footage from harlem you know like um, uh, afro-americans would line up for the let's say um, food stamps or something mm -hmm. you know like shabby houses like you know that's how capitalism th uh, thrives when someone exploits someone so in other words it's always at the uh at the cost of someone to be successful. Like you need to exploit people to be successful. No, that was not the theme the Soviet propaganda said. We're all equal. We all is share, but it doesn't work. And, and then around that time, you had the Billy Joel movie come out. Where for the first time. That, was that the first rock concert, uh, one of them? I wasn't there, but it was probably the first, like, uh, uh, the wind of changes. You remember Scorpions? That was the song which Yeah, yeah, the Scorpions, yeah. So that was the first... Fresh wind of change is coming, and thanks to Billy Joel's you know, interest towards Russia. By the way, I was lucky man to be in the right place at the right time. Sorry if I'm switching. At okay. that time, new productions came over from U.S. Let's say I was lucky to be uh, um, uh, involved in uh, HBO, uh, Billy Crystal, Midnight Train from Moscow production. Oh, yeah, yeah. Working with Billy Crystal and his daughter Jennifer at that time as their fixer. So I met amazing people who I would never have met in my life unless the, you know, curtain fell down. So it's like, you know, blessing and the curse, right? It was dramatic for most Russians to switch gear. I was 35, sort of good aging for changes. Oh, sure. So I kind of turned on a new coat once it was allowed to be a freelancer and do that ABC News related or... You just used a term, you said fixer. Yeah. Yeah, what's a fixer? Uh <laughs> I believe in U.S. it's more of a negative kind of thing oh, okay. from my experience. <laughs> I, I, go ahead. I, I think I know where you We never heard the word fix in Russia once until I was invited by ABC News Moscow office to help Ted Koppel at that time, who was probably the most unbiased and professional journalist I ever worked with, to do a big show. It was related to Gorbachev resignation and Yeltsin coming as a new Russia versus the old Soviet Union. So we had to cover you know, different topics like sex in Russia. The word sex wasn't really used. It was like a taboo. Sex could be only in the West because, 
you know, prostitutes sell their services, right? In Russia, it's only about making love, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. But eventually, once capitalism started to kick in, <laughs> you know, now everyone is just trying to use words sexy because there are so many ways to sell your talent and sexiness doesn't prevent you from doing it, right? So I'm, I'm pretty good at that, meaning that I don't mind using the words or ideas unless it's, it's pure exchange of money. That's not what I like, you know. Everyone's selling some services, but if it's like legit and if you know that you're talented and do something as a aspiring film actress and show a little bit of some kind of a you know natural uh, skin, uh, I would say skin <laughs> and bones or whatever it is there, why not? But it should be reasonably and 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 I would say smartly used for your own purposes, not to overexpose and just show that that's the only talent I have. That's what I wouldn't probably like or me so basically i was lucky to be in the right place at the right time when these new productions came to russia both in movies and documentaries and learned a lot and uh, was uh, lucky to work with people like i mentioned dan sawyer you know Gary so Christo. you were you were the guy in russia when when so back to fixing yeah being a, a foreigner in the soviet union or new russia you would never know how to get access to people let's say who would normally be protected from talking to the western media ex-spies, submariners, or you name it, right? People who were in a part of a military-industrial complex. It was a taboo talking to anyone, even to your own wife. So once the borders fell down, I was approached not only by ABC News, but let's say by uh, American literary agencies because they wanted to do some uh, oral history books with the help of you know local talent, let's call it, a oh, ex-KGB different languages, right? Of the, course, not oh. only just the language, the mindset for a U.S. journalist to come to the home of an ex-Soviet KGB agent would be probably a normal thing, but in Russia they were protected from talking to anyone from the outside world, as I mentioned to you. So for me, as becoming more as a buffer between, uh, have a better sense to explain it. Look at this uh, socket, right? So you have 110 voltage, in Russia we have 220, I think. So how do you do it? You need a transformer. So basically, I was a transformer of bringing the interests of foreign media, what they wanted to cover, inside story, some revelations, blah, 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 to the very secretive and closed society, the mindset of the Soviet, former Soviet Union. So in other words, this transition years in the 90s allowed me to learn so much about different format of content, like book packaging, when you find the story of Soviet KGB handler, Victor Cherkashin, and we made uh, an amazing book uh, with the U.S. publishing community called The Spy Handler, 2003, I guess. And uh, it nearly became a movie because Robert De Niro fell in love with Victor's story and wanted to play him. He came over to Russia. It's another reason how we met. He was opening his uh, Nobu restaurant in Moscow and invited Victor, whom he knew through his friends in the U.S., to talk about his book. And Victor said, well, I have a friend slash manager, Zemir, who brought him into this book deal with U.S. publisher. So he invited me too. That's how we met. Apart from what my first experience with De Niro was, I was translating his press conference, being a translator at that time in Moscow Film Festival. So anyway, it was very interesting communication and a way to try and connect. It's all about fusion, right? The content, which was hidden for many years, with some kind of new media format, like a book or a documentary or a film based on a amazing personality with the Cherkashin, who was not an enemy anymore. He retired. He was not handling spies anymore. But once in that book, he kind of revealed, it was well known, but not to the 
general audience that uh, because of his efforts in the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C., Hansen and Ames, the most damaging spies, the FBI and CIA, reached out to him and volunteered, like walked in, Victor, we want to work for you because we know you're a very professional man. We kind of liked you. So he became like a handler for these two people. Both of them, I think, are indicted for life imprisonment. But that's the story <laughs> which, which was interesting to yeah. the US audience. Totally. How, how you learn to be a handler, right? So basically what I'm doing now, I'm sharing the experience I learned of handling Victor for about a year, convincing him to go to bed with the US publisher, sign a fantastic kind of risky publishing deal when you can't open your mouth to anybody else, no disclosures, nothing. He was kind of scared first. It took me some time, about nine months, to convince him to do this book, his memoir book with the US publishing how that was a real breakthrough and I, i'm still proud that the achievement which i made him and he was very happy since that time oh not you should be the, proud that's great about yeah. the money but at least he helped the world on that he was not a villain he was doing only what his personal commitment to his motherland to his country made him do what he was trained to do to search for the right people who would become i would say who would talk about sensitive information and share with him so mm -hmm. he could use it for purposes his country trained him for. How is Russia changing from now Gorbachev is, is getting out of power and now we have Boris Yeltsin? Well, I think the, the most interesting years were under Boris Yeltsin for me personally, as I mentioned, this access to the new content or the people who never were opening their mouth before. But unfortunately, it changed with Mr. Putin coming to power, I'm not going into politics as I mentioned to you, but with his KGB grip on everything. Access to the archives, which were needed for the documentary style I mentioned, were again being kind of uh, tightened up, so to say, not too much freedom of topics available and people would prefer keep their mouth shut again because of this kind of East-West confrontation feel like Cold War deja vu started to come back and that's what unfortunately is still happening yeah. these days i mean I, I was more interested in the mcgillney you know yeah, alexander mcgillney yeah and, and that's an interesting story too we had to sneak him out of there to get him here you see so in other words it just you definitely understand the, the it's like cycles for that 10 years in the 90s it was like unlimited freedom you wanted this topic okay go and research uh, no borders no limits you want to talk to this guy if you find a way to his like shortcut to his heart or interest him somehow, you know, you will have an amazing story at stuff. Just another interesting example, just we're talking, uh, I ended up setting up an interview for, uh, was it PBS, uh, with Edward Snowden, right? The guy oh, really? who got stuck. Yeah. Everyone will say, Zamir, it's toxic. Don't come close to that area. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be watched both by NSA and the KGB. I said, you know. You, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not selling secrets. I'm just setting up access to people only, right? So right. I'm not trading with the secrets. I'm not in that business. For me, it's just access so that people could understand better why he was stuck in Russia. And he was kind of nervous. He was really insecure during those interviews and in, during the breaks. I think he realized that being a whistleblower is an honorable thing. But when you end up in a totalitarian society like Russia is getting back to, unfortunately your credibility is not that whistleblower style anymore, right? I think he did realize that eventually. Yeah.
So when's the first time you come to the United States of America? As I think it was in 1990. 90, so we're around my the same, late brother, yeah. yeah, Michael. And it was an interesting trip. Seems not like only, you have to have some, have some balls to You see, not, come not, over, right? in, not just that we saw New York and stayed with American friends I made by that time, but uh, uh, Brooklyn, the Brighton Beach, how Russians emigrated, settled down. The most fascinating thing for me, even for the last 25 years, was a Greyhound trip between New York and Seattle, Washington. You cross country, yeah. Huh? Give me, like, Mark, your wild shot, like how much time it took me night to day on a Greyhound to get to Seattle. Uh, I don't know, six days? A round trip, yeah. Yeah, three days, wow. one way. But the type of people I met on the bus. Oh, yeah. Welcome to America. They couldn't <laughs> figure out where I come from, right? They, yeah, you know, the Russian bear speaking English, definitely KGB guy. So the stigmas <laughs> is what I'm trying to break even now talking to you guys. Yeah. yeah. Don't look at, at people just with your stigma from the mass media or propaganda news you have, like all Russians are KGBs, all Russian girls are prostitutes, all Russian men are mafia or something. <laughs> The, the world is no longer flat, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Use your own judgment. Mm -hmm. Use your own brains. So, so it was a fascinating trip. That was probably the most revealing and uh, uh, mind-boggling experience of seeing the differences between the small, tiny villages we stopped on Greyhound. And uh, I had like five bucks, uh, I would say, disposable food allowance for that trip for my own you know, b limited budget thing. So... I would eat primarily, that's what I could, first of all, um, uh, afford the Kentucky Fried Chicken in that cafeteria. So <laughs> really? for three days, at the rest stops, yeah. the chicken thing, I thought I would fly on my last <laughs> you know, day in St. Louis when we arrived. It was too much of uh, fast food for me. So since that time, I'm trying to, to limit my access to the fast food eateries. I know it's a great invention, but not when you get used to it all the time. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, well, that, that will be a funny moment. Uh, a friend of the family, Russian emigrants who moved to Seattle, that's what justified my interest. He says, Zemir will pay for your, for your journey, you know, five bucks as an allowance and the uh, bus ticket, but you have to bring some Russian chachkis from our Russian friends in Brighton Beach. I said, okay. So once I was naive enough to say yes, once I met those guys and they gave me two huge bags of like Matryoshka dolls, some of ours and stuff, I could hardly leave the bus, you know, not knowing with the type of people you travel, you know, whether your bag will still be there. So I had to bring that shit with me to use the toilet or shower on the way because sometimes I wouldn't follow the way the bus, you know, conductor would talk in English at that speed. I wouldn't figure out whether it would be a different bus to go. So I was always afraid to miss the bus. So I would carry this two bags with me to the toilet and keep an eye <laughs> while doing an our call of nature. It was a fun trip, but at least it paid for, so there's always upside. It paid for the trip. And uh, I really liked Seattle, totally different from New York, apart from many other experiences on the way, which were not New York-like. So I realized that like in Russia, Moscow is not Russia and New York is not American. And when you go back to Russia, you, you go back after that trip. Yeah. Are you telling everybody, oh, my God, we, yeah, you got to get that, there. That's exactly when I think my whole idea of traveling and opening up your horizons when you meet people face to face. Don't rely only on the books or guides or TV shows only. Just like the public diplomacy, what I started calling my mission. It's like when you 
shuttle diplomacy, when you meet people face to face and you move from one location to another and they come to, to visit you. The first business idea I had with US, which I unfortunately sank, was uh, homestay tourism. 1991, it was too early to come up. I had a partner in Syracuse, New York, who wanted to give up his family furniture business. Too boring for him. He was probably 40, I was 35. Uh, Paul, I think his first name was Yazimir. How about doing this? Uh, he came to Russia as part of this uh, Onyont uh, exchange. First, tour tourism started as a, uh, sister cities kind of exchanges. Mm -hmm. We met and he said, Zamir, I would like to try and bring some Americans if you could provide in you know, a homestay and some kind of guiding in Russia. I said, sure, we did set it up. People were ready for that, but it was too expensive, I think, to travel for individuals at that time. So we just had two groups, maybe 10 people from his end and definitely couldn't pay the bills. So, <laughs> But I'm still fascinated with this idea and think the more we could arrange it so that people live under conditions they never experienced before, like communal space sometimes. Mm -hmm. I know privacy is something Americans cherish, and we couldn't afford that. I was born uh, in one room space, maybe like one fourth of this space with 15 other people And when I was born, 1956. So the idea communal, I would say, lifestyle is still there right. in most cases. I'm kind of limited that field and trying to develop more privacy the more I spend time in the US but not too many people understand that much yeah so sometimes using the bathroom where you know local families for Americans could be a little bit obnoxious that's why I don't push the homestay as such but opening the horizons for people going to meet you now artists in the studios or theater company backstage or Russian chef and share a little bit of a real Russian vodka there I think that's what helps people break the stigmas Yes. And understand the world is no longer flat. Not everyone is an enemy the way they're presented. If you just follow the news. And you, you ended up in Buffalo. Uh, and you, you really didn't choose Buffalo. You, you told me earlier it was kind of fate. Yeah, I started to believe in finger of fate phenomenon the longer I live. And thanks to Anthony Bourdain, God bless his soul. Excuse me. <laughs> We're going to have a little, little, bit of little, little drink. You yeah. don't need to drink. Amazing personality, my mentor and friend for the 17 years of our... Uh, he said, after many other shows we did in uh, Europe and Russia, I said, Zemir, now it's the time for me to show you a little bit of my homeland. So he thought, I couldn't figure out why, it was important for him to show me as ex-commie how American capitalism could, you know, sink, same way communism sank, right? So he brought me to that Rust Belt episode in 2008, 2009, Detroit, when GM business closed down because of that recession and crisis, then Buffalo, which was very rusty, and Baltimore, were three cities, uh, not the nicest one at that time for me to, to experience. But I think to his big surprise, when we landed in uh, Buffalo, February, it was freezing cold, much colder than now, so it's probably global warming is blame. <laughs> A lot of snow, and I felt like at home. Uh, Nelson Starr, our local subfixer, who was doing that, you know, welcome to Buffalo kind of video, which helped Tony choose Buffalo. He brought a bottle of Stoli vodka to the airport, says, Amir, we like you here. I said, wow, what do we know about me? Yeah, we watched the show. I said, oh, okay. So that's how our connection with Buffalo started. He introduced me to many people I loved immediately, like Mike A., amazing chef, 
many other people uh, on that show. And after uh, several years after, when it was the farewell to no reservations, they invited me as a guest for that screening of uh, Brooklyn episode, which you mentioned was the last one, uh, farewell to no reservations. So I came as a guest, and since that time, I realized, wow, it's like being home, like second home. People like jokes, people are very open-minded, very warm, mm -hmm. and welcoming like as a family guest. The city of good neighbors. City of good neighbors and, 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 and big hearts and, and uh, lot of humor, lot of fusion of cultures which you like, and uh, definitely food and booze <laughs> cement this uh, relationship. So I'm a happy camper since that time, thank God. It's blue collar. Tony brought me here. I realized that Buffalo is definitely underexposed, especially now after 10 years when I saw that renaissance coming up, both mm -hmm. in art, music, culture, apart from the food and eateries opening up. It's like a real place of international importance to me. So that's why sometimes I feel, well, something is not cooking right. Toronto is well exposed. New York, like people know. What about Buffalo? It's like a gem in a crown, if you know what I'm saying, but right. very, very underrated yet. So my mission is to try and help as much as I can to bring Buffalo to much a... We got the same. We got the same mission. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're, keep we're drilling, guys. Yeah, yeah. We haven't reached the. We haven't reached. I would say, stop drilling. We reached the Klondike, so we're still yeah. on, oh, halfway yeah. through. So go ahead. Yeah. How How did you meet Anthony Bourdain? How did that happen? Another finger of fate, as you know by now. In the early nineties, I started, you know, freelancing as a fixer, helping the American networks getting access to the locations they needed, or meeting the people they would hardly meet face to face without someone locally. Diplomacy network, matters. Network connection. So in 2001, someone from New York City, I won't recall, it's like friends of friends, like word of mouth. We didn't advertise this kind of services. It's just ABC News would spread message. Some producers who were planning to come to Russia would ask, like, who helped you at that project? They say, oh, okay, Zamir is there. So someone called me from New York saying, well, I have friends, you know, from it was Food Network at that time, who are coming for the first time to Russia. Very interesting man, Anthony Bourdain. No one really knows him. It was just the book which was released, Kitchen Confidential. I asked myself, well, I work with the top, you know, anchors in different, you know, networks, but a chef. Different experience. I was not much of a foodie. I wrote a book, which is interesting. You know, in, in Russia, chefs never write books. They're not considered very, I would say, in, in, intelligent people. To write books. <laughs> they're just working hard, but they're not like writers. And right. Something could be interesting. It's all about meeting new people, right? The experience and look at yourself from a reverse thing. I said, okay. And he wanted only to be in St. Petersburg because he tried to find the original recipe of Russian fish pie called kulibaka because someone of Russian descent showed it to him when he was in culinary school, but he wanted to see it like from the horse's mouth. So anyway, I took my cameraman from Moscow, Igor, bless his soul, and we were waiting for his crew. Tony arrived with his first wife and his producer slash cameraman. So during the first night with vodka, not Zemir vodka at that time, he said, honestly, I'm a little bit insecure on camera. I've never done that before, but it looks with your experience. He you know, understood more and more about my exposure, not on camera specifically, but with the movies and films, how to set it up properly. Why don't you step in from behind the camera into the you know, shot with me and help me communicate with people, not only because of the language, but it seems like he said, you, you're kind of breaking the ice easily. Right. Yeah. So, okay. If you if it helps, so that's how our I would say camaraderie on 
screen started and he liked it i liked it and uh, next year when travel channel brought him into their world with his new show no reservations his producer chris called me and said zamir tony wants to continue your collaboration would you be interested sure to choose any country around russia and he would willingly you know come over and you set it up then yeah. i was field producer i said sure so we chose uzbekistan you're as exotic land now you're a foodie for me soviet union <laughs> now now you're last year interest for food of course very exotic food and i had my network on the ground so it was probably 2003 or four and that's how our collaboration with travel channel continued for another 10 years with eight other shows and then cnn and uh, parts unknown we continued our uh debacles and divorce <laughs> you know in russia again and uh, georgia from the soviet union amazing experience amazing personality you know i, I learned a lot and and w- what an amazing person i i think that you're right until him the, those personalities of a chefs didn't come out and he, he he was such a pioneer getting that out and now you look at him like andrew zimmerman all, all these guys exactly he was a real pioneer because it wasn't only about the food of course food was important he was an amazing chef he knew how to cook he knew how to do the recipes but i think the way he managed to have people from all over the world drawn into his storytelling that's a talent i'm not sure whether you read the kitchen confidential after we met with sony i did read it and i said wow that's phenomenal i was never interested in how the backstage of the kitchen operates but the yeah, way that he presented things the stories and the, you know the scenes the way he described it like face i would say from the horse's mouth you believed every single word sometimes when you read something oh was it true seems like bullshit but with tony and his authentic talent to tell the story that's what i learned everything about the story there should be the beginning middle at the end i'm sure you understand that so you know how to edit it production right <laughs> so that's how people get hooked into the something different they knew they want to learn but the attention span these days is so different unfortunately definitely that's why younger generation your generation maybe gave up on reading you know thick books for them it's like probably two three minute clip they want to like oh visuals primarily so with podcasts you have a mission to tell the story so people don't run away to the first minute oh we know everything about this. yeah it's all we, about vodka. No. We, me- we measure people's maturity on how they know Hulk Hogan. Good. Yeah, so. <laughs> so how big is your audience, if I may ask, at this Analytics point? Analytics are tough, but I, we're, we try to archive these stories, and your your connection to Buffalo is just unbelievable through a great man, a great chef, Anthony Bourdain. And it's great to see that you're still coming here. Yeah. and now it's, it- it's still a big surprise to me. People ask me now, like in St. Louis or New York or – what about Buffalo? It's just like freezing cold there. That's a Niagara Falls. That's only two things they know about yeah. Buffalo. said, no way. It's amazing art deco. It's culture. It's um, amazing parks. And then the way Olmsted, right, connected this, you know, like uh, New York, uh, famous Central Park, right? It's just come and, 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 and look at it, right? And apart from new restaurants and new hotels opening up in front of me, like first time we came with Tony, we stayed at Mansion, Delaware. It was kind of dark at 5 p.m. and it was freezing cold, so we didn't really explore much on our own. But since that time, when I started coming over and over, now like Hotel Henry, wow! For me as a filmmaker, it's yeah. like a set. Yeah. Like you know, a lot of interesting things. Yeah, and we got a yeah. lot. You actually were at uh, a friend of ours coffee, the underground coffee shop today, today in the morning. Yeah. Another amazing. It's like being in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like 
Could we, it be Paris? Could it be London? Could be some. So in other words, that's what exactly what I'm saying. In Buffalo, where people with their stigmas don't have interest to come over and okay, Niagara Falls maybe once in a lifetime, like Disney. They don't quite understand that it's totally different setup. Just amazing architecture, art, apart from the people being so warm and hospitable that you want to stay again and again. Like my personal experience, uh, Buffalo Inn, it's a very tiny inn off uh, um, Lafayette. Okay. I know the owner, Joe Hydro. I stayed there at my own pocket and I just wanted to experience something different, right? Because I really like the place which is run by the family. Kind of bed and breakfast. So they bought that place like years ago and transformed it into like an inn, five, six rooms. You do feel like you are staying with the friends in the morning, homemade breakfast, atmosphere, like the guests eat at the same table. It's just the whole new concept for me. People I noticed, maybe, you know, it's not brain surgery to notice that, are more and more disconnected these days. Everyone wearing the headsets, talking to themselves. They, they need some privacy. They want to be away from that mass information stream. That's why I asked about the, you know, attention span. But at the place like this, you learn that we're all the same. We like good food, like good booze or good joke, which we want to share, meet new people. And that's how you start looking at yourself. Okay, maybe I should work harder to become like Joe and do something on your own on your own business, which is not easy, right? You need to have your responsibility, which I was deprived of as being a communist slave. When they would say our cattle mass would be given similar upside produce split into everybody because we only can succeed as a work collective. No, private property, not such a bad thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you don't suck the blood, uh, everybody else at, 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 the, at the only goal and sake to become rich, right? There should be... a Something in the middle, like when everyone enjoys this partnership, this cooperation, this, you know, goals to make a new place, you know, famous and become a, a draw. Yeah. Like even look here, if we were at a Charlie's Boatyard and, you know, you look out on the lake and. You know, so, Charlie, thank you. It could so, be anywhere in the world, you know, with the great view. I'm sure in some it will be open to Aris and you could enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it's not too many piece people of, understand everything. Yeah, understand that the lake effect of. Uh, you know, snow and rain at the same time or rainbow could be appealing or interesting, especially when we talk about photographers like my friend Mary, who needs to be given credit for me, you know. She's your fixer. Yeah, she's my handler. <laughs> she provides access to the people I would hardly meet unless she knew. You are very decent right. guys, you know. You have a similar mission as I am. And once we, you know, combine efforts, we could break the ice. So well, everything is great. possible. Yeah. Peace. Peacemaking. Diplomacy Peace. matters. It, it goes unnoticed, but it matters. Oh, yeah, but we, right. have, we have to keep all political bullshit on the side because that's where people get confused. Yeah. Oh, I'm supportive of this uh, doctrine or of that doctrine. Mm. There should be something in the middle. You can't be like black and white only. It doesn't work. Right. Fortunately, and that's what, I mean, fortunately for me, brought the Soviet Union collapse because there was only one way to paint that wall, right? There was nothing in the middle. I'm colorblind, but with... Uh, Mary's help, I do understand the, I would say, the shades of color, right? If you know, like there are 40 shades of gray or whatever people say. <laughs> if, you, if you are taken uh, to look at it with the help of a professional person, right? Silo City, you know, with her, I realized that, wow, 
that's like another set which is totally underdeveloped. Well, thanks God you have this new venture going on the beer and the sports complex. What's the name of it um, in Silo City? Riverworks. Riverworks. Yeah. So the more and more visionaries I meet here, like Rocco, Mike Schatzel, who bring something which seems not realistic into fruition, like Chandler Street things, you know, I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. It's like being in London, enough space for street fairs to experience different food, you know, beer, kids uh, doing the artwork and murals. So you combine different facets of life into one adventure. That's what Buffalo needs, like any, any other place, more and more, and to expose it so that people from Toronto, like my friends, who were skeptical from Toronto. What about Buffalo? Once they started coming, and let's say some of them stayed at uh, Buffalo Inn, some of them stayed at uh, Hotel Henry, which I like, well, it's like mind-opening experience, mind-boggling experience, eye-opening experience. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Wow, definitely. It's only two hours away. Absolutely. So in other words, I don't mind when people come for one reason, like Sabres versus uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Perfect. That's a good motivation. But there's too much behind that to be explored and experienced i always tell people if you if you come for a friday night hockey game or a sunday bills game sprinkle in that little culture that we have those little mom and pop shops the new places the murals and all those things and, and that's how you experience buffalo now guys with your help i could probably start knocking at the doors of bureaucrats excuse my <laughs> english uh let's say of tourism board of travel or whatever you call it so I'm happy to volunteer as an ambassador of Buffalo to bring people from Toronto, New York, or some other places because I really want to be part of it and help you guys to tell more of what Buffalo has to offer. So just think about it. Maybe at some point someone will say, oh, okay. Yeah, we, we could use a fixer. Yeah, Buffalo needs saying. one. You know? yeah, well, well, we'll trade talents here. Well, you fix us, yeah. we'll fix you, you know. Thank you, guys. <laughs> no, I'm in good shape now, right? <laughs> well, you talked about some spots. What are some spots in Buffalo that you've found that locally we don't even know about yet? Some... Uh, my favorite place since I love Elmwood Village because for me it's like being in a village but in a city when everything is walkable and then reachable. I like Five Points. Amazing for my uh, gastronomic needs uh, menu. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I love Terrace. I love Mike Schatzel's destinations where you are in the park, especially in summertime, and you enjoy the nature. You have amazing drinks, cocktails, creative food, which is a mixture of different cultures. What I like yeah. about Buffalo. right, yeah, we have great Vietnamese, great West Puerto side, Rican, West Side yeah. eateries. You know the small yeah. ethnic, you know, communities like anything. Like it could be like. Um, Spanadas or uh, even the African food. I didn't know much about like couscous and uh, mm -hmm. some of the African style. So in other words, for me, Buffalo is like uh, a small city with a big heart. Small city because Moscow is like 10 times bigger, but you're lost there because it's too big. Buffalo is the type of city where everything is 20 minute drive only, right? Yeah. To say nothing of the open, uh, I would say, um, my friend Gino McManus, amazing musician. That's another side of Buffalo, which draws me in. Uh, he invited me for his induction into the Hall of Fame. So with his help, I become like a popular visitor to a, a sportsman tavern. Oh, yeah. And many other destinations. He performs the Beatles, you know. That's how art and culture could bring people to the Beatles, right? Everyone knows. 
And knowing that Gino is setting up his tour in Japan with local Beatles fan, uh, oh, wow. Tadaki, who was just here last week. So that was the best illustration how someone like Gino is cross-promoting culture, music, staying at the friend's home in Japan and vice versa. So now I'm staying with Gino. So for me, just another illustration of how shuttle diplomacy, homestays could work. If you know what I'm saying. So it's not just a dream. It's a dream which is already supported by someone who is doing it. Marky, wouldn't you say that Zamir knows more about pe- <laughs> Buffalo than some of the people <laughs> yeah. we know? Yeah, that's what <laughs> He's I'm been saying. To more you know, places. Yeah. Happy to relocate and be your fixer. Yeah. If someone who comes from uh, what's the name of the place, like 30 minute drive from here, and they don't know much about Buffalo life uh, at all. Yeah, that's yeah. uh, the name. It's like a big village, not far from Buffalo. I mean, Orchard Park. No, further up. Um, uh, well, Orchester is still a big city, but I have friends who open Buffalo with my guidance. Like, you know, Chris Carson, who is my conduit in, in Rochester, the man who actually helped me to find the right uh, product, uh, I mean, uh, grain in uh, Rochester. So, yeah, definitely Rochester yeah. is also an underexposed. Yeah, you're talking to two people who have literally never left. <laughs> we couldn't Gentlemen, be more opposite. <laughs> so don't look at me as Martian, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Just take you your rest, perspective of put Buffalo. in the car, you know, drive for another hour, and Rochester will be another totally different ballgame, like Kodak studios right the old archives yeah which for me as a filmmaker was so meaningful to find in the middle of nowhere we got to get you a night in south buffalo it seemed like your appearances uh on bourdain you were always you know oh we can make a business oh we could do something you know you always saw a bigger picture what was the vodka and what's the big picture i wish i were more savvy in in business terms i'm more of a content developer if you know what i'm saying the idea guy somebody needs to have the idea once people started bringing me into buffalo and definitely under tony's umbrella more and more because that's the exposure i got thanks to the you know tv appearances and they'll say zamir you drink a lot is it just water or the real thing are you faking it i said you know what Anthony is not the type of me, he's still in the present. A type of guy who would drink fake vodka or something, right? So it took me a year or two to come up and develop Zamir Vodka brand. It's all about the branding, right? Once I am responsible for the quality of it, I put my name here, right? Plus, it's public domain, so it helped me to create that uh, slogan with the help of my local content developer, Leo Abbott, who actually is identical Anthony Bourdain. That's how we met in 2012 when I was brought to the farewell to no reservations thing. So it, it does say a lot for me. It's the colors, like, you know, red, my background, the star, which is more of a peacemaking star, and the whole idea of peacemaking and travel now uniting. Of course, I could afford only 6,000 bottles, which were distributed in four states, like in different pockets, including New York State. But the young people who set up that Honey Falls Distillery near Rochester for one simple reason. It was another finger of fate. I found the producer of uh, winter crop wheat, which is an essential component of the real vodka, right next to Buffalo, thanks to Chris Carson, my spiritual advisor I mentioned from Buffalo, from uh, Rochester. So we produced 6,000 bottles only into a small distribution network. And these guys, unfortunately, are going out of business. So I'm looking for new distilleries, for people with vision who would use the idea of peacemaking as part of the whole campaign. So it's not about vodka, vodka. It's just part of the cultural exploration. We got to get this guy, background. Bill Bercy. Yeah. <laughs> down there. So, yeah. gentlemen, think about it. Well, we got a guy vision- for you. You know visionaries. Yeah. So for me, it's not to drink to get drunk. Like most people think, oh, oh, those Russians only drink to get drunk and have physical kind of fights. No. 
I never fight. For me, communication and language helps to, I would say, to break the ice of misunderstandings. Everything about misunderstanding. The less you understand people you talk to, nothing will help. Vodka just helps to break the ice. Look at American people going to the bar. Most of them don't want to talk to anyone, right? They're on their phones. Thank you. Once for me, once I open the bottle, it's just not to get drunk, but to pour. Do we have a shot? Yeah, we get a shot glass. No, I mean, it's basically we're peacemaking with drinking is, is what you you're got saying. It. So yeah. it's just for smart people. It's not about drinking, drinking. It's just an excuse to toast. Russians don't drink like Americans without toasting. Toasting is like cultural message. You convey the message, right? So the first toast, Mary, would be to beautiful women, to smart women who handle the stupid man <laughs> like Zemir. You don't drink alone, so you always need ideally three people. It's like holy trinity. It's like my blood now, so don't think that it's... Uh, it's, it's a new... Actually, it's a new idea of... Uh, cherry bitter with the mere vodka so i'm still experimenting and oh, it's not know. that strong as it used to be so now i'm trying to embrace women's audience same way oh i see what Chuck, you're are you with us are you yeah, when we... people say i'm I, I, i'm sober meaning that i don't touch alcohol it's not that i don't trust them for me it's a little bit different uh culture which means that i don't want you to drink i want you just to sip if you know what i'm saying right so five grams or five drops won't make you drunk if you know what i'm saying so ladies and gentlemen if you don't mind just take that shot as i mentioned toasting is part of the culture to beautiful women i can't stand up for for technical reasons women are smarter than men most men are pigs i'm one of them <laughs> eat drink and snore right yeah yeah maybe some other things but not for do we have like 18 plus audience oh yeah you uh, can sure. swear oh yeah us. anything you like anything no you like. fuck around yeah. <laughs> so mary with you men don't fuck around they start filtering you know at 8 30 a.m this woman who would be probably sleeping and thinking of her own you know day off uh pleasant life ideas she decided okay maybe there'll be something coming out of this so you don't have to do the bottoms up Right, it's just my just chemistry. Sip. You sip, but I do it because that's part of my I'm, chemistry. I'm going bottoms up. Uh, Marky's in a chuck club. Smart women. They would run this world sooner than you think. <laughs> you know what they say in America, Zamir? I tried to drown my troubles, but she learned how to swim. I didn't know that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not a good swimmer, Mary. Now I know why I connected to you the first time we met. Ooh, so that's different ballgame, right? So it doesn't burn, right? It doesn't make no. you make a face. No, you know that's good. But it still has some alcohol, right? Yeah. So I'm in transition, same way. The original one, the bottle you saw was 40 uh, alcohol uh, percent component. Thank this you. one, the bitter I'm developing with my friend in Toronto, actually, I just brought it in from yesterday's experimenting, is much milder, right? It might appease more to the American audience because I know you like cocktails, you like to mix yeah. things. Yeah. For Russians, mostly we drink it unmixed, right? Like straight, as I showed it to you. But this is like more of a compromise kind of thing. So it's work in progress. So in other words, this is my traveling tool, rather this one. He's got a flask in his bottle. Yeah, you meet new people and you need to have a reason to start a conversation for most people, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to love you in South I don't want to use like metaphors, (laughs) but uh, how do you call it? Most people know. So once the bottle is open, you need to try and think about what's in it, right? 
But in Russia, we don't drink without food. This is an exceptional presentation. Normally, we have some food. I've, I've drank with some Russians before. So if you, understand if you ask for a little water with it or iced yeah. tea, oh, no, 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 no. You see? <laughs> but some food component is important because never drink it on the empty stomach because the blood will suck the alcohol you, immediately and goes into your brain. You guys do a, rye bread with it a lot. I've noticed. Exactly. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. I, I didn't ask for it because that would be too much of an exposure. <laughs> the restaurant's drinking <laughs> Training course. No, not today. But the rye bread connects to the main component, wheat, as you understand. So it's more okay. like metaphysical thing. Look at me at Mahatma Gandhi today with Deepak Chopra. So I try to share the message of my own experience of my own life. I'm 63, so I know what I'm talking about. Through mm -hmm. vodka, through food and party component, because that's where people are more open to conversations, right? Especially Americans. Oh, yeah. You open that bottle, it's like you said earlier, like the Holy Spirit. And you're you not see? A real, and it's, it's something which religious. combines your background, my background. You don't need to have religious uh, thinking only, because I know that vodka is not like something the people who believe in God would, would say, well, I don't want to touch it. For me, it's more metaphysical, mm -hmm. metaphorical message. For me, it's like Holy Spirit, right? Oh, yeah. And don't forget that vodka and voda in Russian language, in my culture, have the same root, right? So for me, sometimes like I drink water because it's good. It's real winter wheat crop with the water from Cayuga Lake. That was the original recipe, which was filtered and, and adds minerality. So the real vodka should have a taste. Most Americans tell me, I don't want to use this brand, but very popular one. Oh, I like it because it has no taste. I'm saying, well, why do you need to pay $39 in retail <laughs> for something like buy a distilled water can, right? Mm -hmm. So that something like ignorance. When people just use the word vodka, they think, oh, it's something strong and burning like diesel fuel. No. If it's done right and, and reasonably, it breaks the ice. Some people are too insecure to start a conversation. This helps in my experience. Oh, yeah. You, sometimes uh, in Buffalo, they say he drank so much he had diarrhea of the mouth. Oh, I never <laughs> heard that. Thank you. So, guys, I'm not enforcing diarrhea in any sense here. I have nothing to do with coronavirus, trust me. But the real vodka kills all the bad, I would say, uh, microbes or what do we call the viruses. Maybe that's part of my background as well, meaning that that's how Russians would justify drinking vodka. Whenever you're getting sick, it, it heals your body because, you know, the bad stuff is killed. In a way, it's true. We do that with blackberry brandy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you yeah, see, yeah. now we are learning from each other. That's what life is <laughs> sure, all about. Sure, To learn and to share. Well, I, I enjoy You're on to something here with this black cherry. I, I think it would Please, play well. Please, you make a mental note, my friend Mary? <laughs> <laughs> Five drops, right? That's yeah. all you need. Just doesn't, a little bit. Doesn't I, and I'm the same way. I, I, I'm not a chugger. I'm, Thank I'm you. a little older. So that's now. a stereotype. Some people think yeah. Zemir is like doing like on the show. <laughs> For editing purposes, on some shows, we do drink like two bottles within a lunch or dinner. Yeah. But next day, we're still on, on, the sh on the set. So it doesn't affect my productivity. If you know you don't get saying. hungover, Zemir? Not with the real thing. Really? Yeah. That's, that's the whole reason of it. So let's I'm say responsible. So believe me or not, uh, Mary knows my wife, Katya. She's not a big drinker, but once we had the first sample, two of us emptied that bottle at dinner. And next morning, we had no repercussions. So then I said, well, that's the real thing. Wow. The Grim Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> In Russia, normally, when you have friends for dinner, one bottle is normally not enough. Really? 
in America. I know some people who <laughs> got my bottle autograph still keep it in the dusty shelf only for, I don't know, Christmas. I don't want to impose more often drinking, but at the same time, you know, it's totally a different ballgame. It's They're supposed like, to invite somebody over. It's supposed to be shared. Yeah, that's diplomacy. the reason to share something yeah. good. Peacemaking. Yeah. So in other words, eat and drink with the message of peace. That's something which I'm trying. So at the end of the day, you don't want to fight. You don't want to, you, you want to learn and, and explore other cultures. Like now I'm trying to seduce people to try this work and maybe get interest to visit Russia, to understand more about Russian roots and the background, pedigree. Is it safe for us Americans to go over there? With me? Yes. With you? Yes. <laughs> Let's Otherwise, say... I wouldn't say it's a safe place. Right. You, Unless you speak the language, of right, course. If you right. do speak the language, that's safe. But it's a totally different ballgame, different you know, mindset. Some people are insecure. They don't talk to strangers. So in other words, you need to fix it. You need transformer, as I mentioned on that. Yeah. 220, 210 voltage. Little question. Uh some shows go uh, like in America, they get translated into like Russian like uh, television shows. Like what was it? Everybody loves Raymond and stuff like. Do you ever watch those? Just, uh, I just try not to for one simple reason. In most instances, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's like a fake. Just to give you an idea, when I saw for the first time a very famous screen adaptation of um, Doctor Zhivago, oh. which was filmed in Hungary, because for whatever reason they didn't or couldn't get access to Russia, you do feel it's like a fake. It's like people who pretend to be Russians, they don't really talk this way. They don't operate this way. But to give a, a compliment to someone who managed to do the right research and make the right thing, have you ever watched the FX uh, TV series, The Americans? Yes. So that was and still is for me the best adaptation when people understand how Russians look like, what, how they operate, what do they talk, how do they talk which proved that this kind of a culture stigmas could be easily broken because it's done by professionals with mm -hmm. professional attitude, with respect, not to show all Russians like stupids. Remember the first attempts were like uh, Vlad, uh, what was that, uh, boxing? Oh, Rocky. We were Rocky. talking about it this morning. <laughs> talk How did that go over in Russia? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, right. Because, you know, you really look at the first, image of Russian and you feel wow that's like a monster it's like a, he's not he's a robot he's not a real human being if you know what I'm saying yeah yeah so this kind of stereotypes not something which I support I will crush you yeah. that's, <laughs> yeah. what, that's what I'm say. saying I'll kill but then you, at the end, you know, I'll bury you he could change and I could change we all could change you see yeah. thanks God less and less this type of stereotypes coming back into the screen or TV you know people are smarter this day I hope that's my big hope well and then you you brought the Russian uh, mojo over to St. Louis the last two years, huh? Oh, another finger of fate with uh, Tony, who brought me to Kansas City. I won't remember what was the real reason that time. Oh, he wanted me to experience barbecue culture, right? Yeah. And he succeeded. I think for the <laughs> three days, I had probably eight, nine different barbecue experience <laughs> and loved that in different configuration, different spices, different setups. But one of the reasons was for me to explore and, and experience um, tailgate party, which I couldn't figure out. In Russia, it's totally different culture. People do drink and sit normally, not at the stadium because booze is not allowed. Really? Because if they would allow, probably not too many people would end up going to, to see the game, right? <laughs> not everyone is that, is that reasonable and responsible while drinking? have to admit that. So being at the Kansas City Chief 
uh, tailgate party with a lot of new experiences and a lot of booze and food, uh, they won over the Green Bay Packers that night. Nobody expected that, probably 2011. Since that time, locals started to you know, give me a tag of good luck, charm, Zamir brings to the game. So by pure coincidence, I ended up in Miami before the game last Sunday of Super Final, and they won. So for me, I think I'm still bringing that good luck champ. So now I'm very hopeful, even if you laugh, to bring this to the Bills and and, and no, um, I'm, I'm in. we'll take we it. Sabers. We need it. We need but, it. You know. The Sabers are for kids. That's a the kids, Sabers are for kids. kids oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. You can't complain about it anymore. It's just there for the kids. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. But believe me or not, I'm impressed the way you local fans support this team, no matter what. For me, just like to hope against hope kind of thing. Like it starts well, but then for whatever reason, it ends up nowhere, but you still, you know, buy tickets and go and support them. So that's yeah. another commitment and the fascination of Buffalonians, the way you, you know, are positive, no matter what, you go and root for the team and, and have fun at the same time. Sometimes we have to drink to forget though, but we're on our way, we're on our way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's and then I follow you on Twitter, you were all in on the Stanley, uh, Stanley Cup of the St. Louis Blues last season. You know, uh, a friend of mine who is now living, she's Russian in uh, St. Louis, uh, worked with uh, Tarasenko when he was just brought as a you know, new young player, ice hockey player to St. Louis. And since that time, I met him only once, amazing guy. I kind of root for them when I can. Sabre's still my number one here, but oh, St. Louis great. gets somewhere. I said, sure, yeah. And so last year, as you remember, unexpectedly in playoffs, they did win. So we had several parties with, with the mere vodka flowing in different uh, <laughs> friends, restaurants, and um, places in uh, St. Louis. So uh, another jam in the crown. Where are you primarily located at in the States? Or are you just going? I'm uh, all over the place. I, <laughs> I, I, I am like... I, I don't have one place. I'm between Connecticut, St. Louis, Texas, primarily for my vodka tours, but Buffalo now is more about my personal interest. Toronto. Oh, that's absolutely. great. Now, you talk about Chandler Street, and you got to travel. Yeah. Got to travel is the new the new brand? It's the new the idea I'm developing, because sometimes vodka for vodka purposes, I, I noticed with some Americans who are sober for, for their own reasons, doesn't match their interest, right? Sometimes it's like taboo, right? But we've got the travel idea where vodka could be just a tie-in to that whole component, because it's just, you know, you can't explore a new country without food and booze and meeting people at the table, right? So now I think there is much more natural collaboration of different goals I want to bring people to look at the, and themselves from the reverse angle, right? You know what I mean in film terms, reverse angle, when yes, you yes, don't see yes. yourself, but it's like a reflection. For me, when you toast, you drink and look, you know, face to face into each other's eyes, you do understand whether you listen to me. You know, being as a teacher, I used to handle 20 kids at the same time in a classroom, so it helps me. Even now, Mary thinks I don't see her, Chuck, you know, I'm still keeping an eye on whether <laughs> they are bored, sleeping, or like, you know, playing with the iPad or something. I don't think anybody gets bored sitting with you, Zamir. I don't know. <laughs> you're you're really on top of things, and Thank you're you. you're a, a ball of joy almost. <laughs> so you remember Mahatma Gandhi? So look at me as uh, someone who brings the idea of uh, peacemaking, right? So no matter what I do, what I drink or eat or talk, 
it's just whole idea that they have, and the, of conversation, people want to learn more. And maybe Google Russia and check about the Russian, you know, Tsar dynasty and the Russian recipes. This recipe comes from the Russian dynasty. Just, you're going to like that. Corn versus uh, wheat, which is more hard to get and more expensive in, in the crop production. What do you think? Probably, probably corn. No. Corn oh. used to be given, not sure now, to cattle, right, for feeding purposes. Wheat was too expensive even back to Russian czars, to produce mostly for bread and, and other ingredients for food. So in other words, the Russian czars could definitely afford anything, corn, you know, barley, but they preferred only vodka made of wheat because it's much more crispy, cleaner, less uh, calories. And so in other words, we call it more healthy way for your stomach, sensitive lining, then it doesn't burn, especially with the right water mineral component yeah so everything has a reason so that's what i brought from public domain russian czar recipes of vodka finding the ingredients here so i don't want it to be produced in russia it would be definitely much cheaper and import so what happens if tomorrow trump or putin are pissed off with each other and say no more russian vodka coming to us so i'm cross borders i want to be available here because it's of made of call it american vodka if you like but with Russian recipe. So that's the fusion I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, I get it. So public, that, that recipe is public domain. Yes, but you need to know yeah, what exactly. Right. You yeah. need to be you smart. Need, yeah, yeah, you, need, you can yeah, Google yeah. it what Russian vodka recipe was about. Yeah, yeah. I cannot copyright it. Right, what, right. But what the, the, whole, the whole logo and this is copyright. So in other words, you cannot produce Zemir vodka with public domain recipe without right. me. Yeah. Sure. Luckily, right. in U.S., you know, the bullshit artists whom I call the lawyers, they know <laughs> how to bring you to court and yeah. you know, pay royalties, right. which you would have done if you were in a legal arrangement. Right. The, but there is no great cuisine without fusion of something else. Excellent. Yeah. You, you've been coming here for almost 15 years. Uh, well, 12. starting with the first trip, about 12. Yeah. But more regularly, like for the last eight years, I would say. What What do you think of Buffalo? How, how it's been? Evolved. It's evolving. It's uh, it's it's renaissance. By 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 the way, I look at it. The places which you can do like um, outer harbor and canal exposure. It's like being on the water and showing the best of the best was not available ten years ago. So thanks to visionaries, some of them I met who invest and help you know other people develop the areas. Chuck, Chuck you're one of them. Right, yeah. So look, it's like being in uh, Spain or in Italy with the yurts and water and enjoying, definitely some music will be available uh, for oh, yeah. that time period. So what else could you think of brunch or, or any other place to meet up with friends and have a good time? Right. I, yeah, well, thanks for noticing. Evolving, yeah, it's just changing every other time I come back. And that's part of your shuttle diplomacy with Toronto, Moscow, and Buffalo. Thank it, you. It's like a triangle that you're trying to almost uh, brand yourself. One Samir. simple reason. In New York, everything is too much, meaning it's hard to get into New York. It's not that I need it, but for me, Toronto is definitely a much bigger scene, and uh, uh, but that th there is a much bigger picture of fusion of Asians, Russians, Europeans, just bigger scales, not that Buffalo doesn't have it. So that proved to me as a, as a good success story. There, there is niche for everyone, for everything. There is a vodka bar in Toronto, you know, a lot of Russian restaurants. Nothing happens here yet. What are you, what are you hearing on Chandler Street, uh, Zamir? 
we're, we're we're scheduled to talk to somebody down the road about it. Um, tell us I, a, a I little, met Rocco, whom I have been knowing since my 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 visit in 2012 for farewell to no reservation who hosted me at his amazing hotel lafayette art deco and uh, mike a who set that uh, dinner up uh, i love the way these visionaries work and develop their ideas of changing the face of uh, uh, food scene here so for me uh, the chandler street once they have this you know sidewalk and open spaces and this kind of you know amazing urbanistic kind of adventures which used to be like warehouse or something into much more civilized way of having people coming to spend the day look at the artwork to have the cider next door so in other words it's just like to give much more of what buffalo and local scene could offer being in one place with so many different interests of your family if you know what i'm saying yeah. that's what i love well it's just amazing that you end up here by chance with Anthony Bourdain, and now you're here. I mean, would you ever consider buying a home and settling down here? I've read in the past that you've thought about it. I, I was thinking about it, definitely, but I realized that without, I would say, constant uh, income flow, I fell in love with the Elmwood, as I told you, and definitely the houses were so much available seven years ago, five years ago. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I should have a stable as a freelance i don't have it right so with my film services and you know these new ideas you know i can't manage it on my own so i definitely look for someone with a business background who would knew how to package and and pack these ideas into something which could you know earn a living yeah well put yourself out there yeah i mean you really do put yourself out there you're you promote the hell out of this vodka i hope it you will work, help everyone to you work get, hard you really do um we're so glad that you, you ended up sitting. This is a long time coming. We, we, yeah. I, work, I work with Mary. Uh, we've had to. So you, you know. Oh, yeah. How long, you know. Yeah, you're always moving. You're always working. Um, well, we know nothing happens without constant dedication. So. Guys, yeah. and the line which I'm still using, once again, borrowed from Anthony, I'm still hungry and thirsty for more. That's what oh. I really loved about him, about his show. There is always something new. I, I'm not always saturated. Right. When again and again, I mentioned, you know, you're going to Buffalo again. Like what's in it? I, said, I don't know. Every time I come, there's something different happening. Speaking of thirsty, give me a little more of that. You see, I didn't <laughs> I didn't push you. Right. <laughs> so some more of the mere Holy Spirit definitely helps. Oh, yeah. That's good. To be creative, right? Oh, you're yeah. Yeah. Intoxicated. Correct. Right. I don't want you to push into something you are not ready yet. for. <laughs> so I'll do I'll take a sip too. Right. Go ahead, Jimbo. Nasdarovia. Cheers. Yeah. Well, Zamir, we're so glad that you came, and I think that we've uh, we made a new friend today, Marky. Absolutely. Uh, anyone that That's comes, about. so my mission for today is accomplished, guys. Yeah. Thank you very much. Made peace. And uh, you, you came here kind of on a whim. You've embraced us. You really support us, <laughs> and uh, you get out there and talk about buffalo and i love it that's what i love about you and uh zamir gata you are now licensed to talk <laughs> well listen i think the next time you be friends whom i met again and again actually yesterday would bring me to talk to a bigger audience by the way that's something which i missed sorry another oh, go bullet ahead. another bullet if you don't mind as a filmmaker independent filmmaker my wife and i produced two documentary films 
which I think helps people from different countries understand that we have a similar challenges uh, about handicapped people, both mentally and physically. So sometimes I do it as screening for younger people to ask and talk and questions and answers kind of thing. So it's another, I would say, part of my interest to bring the younger people, not to this baby only, but more <laughs> about the intellectual conversations. What's different? Why inclusive education is so important? when people born in a different physical or mental thing still have a chance to be together and learn what they can with, with people from, you know, like people with disabilities going to the same school with people who are fit right. helps them to overcome their insecurities in life. Wow. That's what I noticed and that two films are made. And God, it helped me to talk to uh, students at LA, UCLA, uh, I did a screening in Rochester, in Toronto, with mostly friends and friends in Buffalo at the screening room. What are the names of the, the, the films? You can't actually find them online for whatever reason. For me, it's like babies. I keep them still Oh, yeah, intact. I we, like we that. Have a movie. Yeah. We have a movie. We have a movie, too, that we've kind of kept. You see? Yeah, yeah. I still need more time there, yeah. to disconnect from them. It's like one big family. For, just for your own interest, for your own curiosity, the first film, chronologically, is uh, Touchline about uh, physically handicapped young men from Chechnya and Russia, it was 10 years ago, I think, who were victims of the same war. It was called like anti-terrorist from Soviet mindset, but it was really about keeping Chechnya as part of Russia. And four of them, the main characters, lost limbs during that war, not being on the, on the mindset or not being on the battlefield. They were kids, like 15, 17 years old. The younger two guys were older, they were conscripts, but unintentionally they happened to be there at the same time and how they overcame their physical disabilities by playing soccer for handicapped people and at the end of the film and as a climax of the story they happened to be in the same team russian national team winning over brazil french british teams and become a world champion so once you are united with the same idea right mm -hmm. you forget about the differences between you. You don't need to drink vodka, so it's another part of my operations. Just find a mutual goal to win on sports. Right. So ex-enemies of the same war become, if not close friends, but they find a way to socialize, to live life and forgetting about the bad things. Just think of the positive. They have families now, they still communicate, they play in different teams, but they realize that we're all the same. We politicians gotta, yeah. that brought that board as not the normal people. We got to get them the hip album. We are the same. The Tragically yeah, Hip shuts that out. Yeah, um, it's very inspiring. Yeah, you, you know? are, Zamir, once again, you are licensed to talk. Keep in touch, brother. I'm a bartender, so you might want to get to know yeah. me. You know, uh, thanks again, and good luck with the yeah, vodka. keep getting inspired. It Thank seemed you. like Anthony inspired you to get into this whole you food thing. You see, it's thing. like, <laughs> now I feel like an Olympic, so I, ha I have to keep his torch. Oh, that's further a good, yeah. and more importantly for me into different destinations he didn't make it yet that's the hope is what he got to travel i'm sure he'll get there. to new destinations well thank you Anthony. thank you guys thank you anthony <laughs> sleep well cheers mm -hmm.